When you invest resources in something significant, you want it to work and to succeed. This message is the second in the series, From Me to We. The message is entitled, Making Marriage Work, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles and your teaching sheets as we dive into this continuing series called From Me to We, and beginning this weekend, for the next several weekends, I'm going to talk specifically about marriage and making marriage work. I want to say before we get into today's message, if you're unmarried, this message is still going to apply to you. If you've gone through a divorce, it's going to be meaningful to you. It really fits for all the relationships of your life, but we're going to specifically talk about some principles when it, when it comes to marriage. It's a very, very vital biblical principle. So one of my responsibilities, I believe, as a, as a pastor to help us to understand how to navigate these kind of relationships according to God's Word. I want to start by asking you a question. What do you expect when you go out and purchase an item that you've maybe saved up for a period of time, a particular thing that you, you want to use in your home or your family in some way, and you bring it home? What is your expectation for that particular item? Your expectation is that it will work. You're believing that you've bought this item and it's going to actually make a difference. It's going to do for you what it promised that it was going to do for you. And when you buy something and you invest in it, you put a lot of energy and researching in it and you invest it and you buy it and maybe after a month it breaks or six months it breaks or a year it's broken, you're very disappointed. You, You don't like those kind of experiences. When it comes to marriage, It's often like this. We get married hoping that marriage is going to be an amazing thing. I have found that every person, when they get married, every couple getting married, they have high hopes for their marriage. I've done lots of marriage ceremonies over the years, and I've never had one couple stand before me and say, Pastor, we're going to get married. We don't think it's going to work. We're going to try it anyway. Never had anybody say that. Everybody says, oh, we have high hopes that our marriage is really going to work. We're looking forward to our future together and all the stars in their eyes and all the firecrackers of romance going off inside of them. They feel this moment and believe it's going to be the best, only to discover a bit later that life gets difficult. Marriage gets hard and challenging, and they're wondering sometimes what they got themselves into. And so when it comes to these kind of things, we have to ask ourselves the question, What makes marriage work? How does marriage really work? And to understand how marriage works, we need to understand that there is a process to relationships. And so I want to draw your attention just for a couple of moments into a a general sense of how every relationship works, every group dynamic works, and a group is more more than one person. It certainly includes marriage. And researchers have found that every Every group, every group of people working together will go through at least four stages. Let me give you these four. The first stage is the forming stage. I'll come back and talk about these in just a moment. The second stage is the storming stage. Got a little laughter on that one, okay. The third stage is the norming stage. And the fourth stage is the performing stage. Let's talk about these for a moment as it relates to marriage. Let's see what it, what it, what, how, how, how it speaks to this dimension of life. 
The forming stage in a marriage happens when there's an attraction between two individuals. A man and a woman are attracted to one another, and this attraction draws them together. And they look at each other and say, well, I've never met someone as beautiful as this person. I've never met someone as handsome as this guy. I've never met someone as smart as this person. I just love talking to them. We can talk for hours on end. It's amazing. I found my soulmate. Okay. And there's this, this forming of a relationship, and there's nothing wrong with that, because no relationship will ever form without an attraction, so there has to be an attraction. I would highly recommend you don't marry someone you're not attracted to. I think it's a good thing to be attracted to the person. So attraction has value to it. It's only the beginning part of the relationship, however, but it's important to understand that's where things begin. But what happens over time is when the relationships begin to, to develop, and especially after marriage happens, we move from the forming stage, all the romance of this attraction, into the storming stage where we begin to discover significant differences between us and that person we married. Oh, we knew about them before we got married, but they've become very real now, and they bug us. We don't like them, okay? Before, we thought it was kind of interesting, they're different than us, we thought it was really, really nice to have someone kind of different from us, but after you get married, how many know that, 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 that you don't like that anymore? And now you're at a place where this is really bothering me, it irritates me, and what you do irritates them, and you go into this storming stage of the relationship, and then from there, if you work through the storms, you move to what's called the norming, and the norming aspect is when you begin to make adjustments in your relationship with one another, that is, you begin to grow and you begin to change and you make acceptance of the other person, they make acceptance of you, and there's this adjustment that happens that, that's vital to the health of the relationship, and then ultimately, out of the norming comes the performing where you actually begin to be productive, there is a, there's a unity and a teamwork that exists here in the relationship now, you are actually finally working together with one another. I'm going to give you some other words that can go with each of these four. The forming stage is what I would call the really happy stage, okay? You're so happy with this person. The storming stage is the really horrible stage, okay? And now somebody asks you, how's your marriage? You used to say it was really happy, it's awesome. Now you say it's horrible. It's horrible. I, I don't know what I did. I said I do, and I got into this mess, and this is, I don't know what's going on here, so it feels horrible. The norming stage really is when you begin to build hope again out of the horror, there's a hopefulness that maybe we're going to be able to work this thing out, and then the performing stage is the harmonious stage, that is, there's harmony now as you are working together with your spouse. But these are the things that we work our way through in relationships. Now, here's the problem in many, many relationships couples get stuck where? In the storming. Exactly right. I've known couples that get into the storming stage, and they were, they'll storm for six months or storm for a year, or some will storm for several years. There's some, of, there's some couples that are storming for decades. I mean, they have a hurricane that won't move, okay? It just settles in over them, and the winds just continue to blow, and they never, ever get to the norming performing stage. Here's what I want you to understand. These two stages in a marriage are inevitable. Every marriage is going to go through these two stages, the attraction and then the reality of differences that create a storm. If you thought, I'm the only person that has marriage problems, you got to wake up today and realize everybody has them. 
you feel a little bit better now, okay? Not a single person that's married, if they tell you, oh, we're just happy all the time, they're lying, okay? Okay? They're lying, okay? They're not telling the truth, okay? I've never met anybody that truly is happy all the time. There's, you're going to go through the stormy. These are inevitable aspects of a relationship. But these two areas are intentional, okay? Inevitably, there's the forming and the storming, but if you're going to move from the forming and storming to the norming and performing, this requires intention. You have to choose that you're going to actually go through this process and work in this direction. It doesn't automatically happen. This automatically happens. This only happens on purpose is another way that I could say that. Now, Jesus understood this. I want you to note with me, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, and we're going to look at the words of Jesus. I want to very clearly make it very clear here who is speaking these words. Jesus is, okay? These are the words of Jesus. I'm going to invite you across all of our campuses to read this with me aloud and loudly. Here we go. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, there are lots of things in this passage that we could talk about today, but I'm going to draw your attention to one phrase only, only one phrase out of what Jesus said, and it ties in to what I just talked about in the previous slide there. Jesus said that the two will, what's the phrase there? Become one. Jesus said a male and female will leave their father and mother, be united, and the two will become one. Now, the word become, both in the Greek and in the English word that we use, represents a process. It's not something that happens automatically. To become something, there's ingredients that go into it, there's effort that's involved, and so the same is true in a marriage. If you're going to husband and wife become one, there's effort, there's a process. When my wife bakes a cake, for example, she gets all these ingredients out on the counter. You've got the flour and the butter and the sugar. Everybody said sugar. Don't you love sugar? Amen? Okay. Sugar's out there. And I have to, that's awesome. Brown sugar and all the kind of sugar she puts out. And so the sugar's out there and all this stuff's out there. And so all these ingredients are there on the counter, but she gets a big old bowl out and she begins to put all those ingredients into a bowl and then she gets the mixer out and begins to mix it together into a batter. And when it's mixed together, you can't tell the, you can't tell where the flour is and the sugar is and the butter is. All that's now mixed together. Now all those ingredients have become what? One. They've become one. They're one element. Now together, of course, then it goes into the, into the, into the oven for, for the forming of a cake. Well, the same is true in your marriage. It's just not going to automatically, you're not going to automatically become one. It requires a process that you have to invest in, a process that you have to engage in. You have to become one. Now, becoming one does not imply that you're losing your identity. It means that two people actually connect together to become a unit that is far more productive. Now, if you and I are going to become one, we have to ask ourselves, what are the ingredients and what is the process that allow us as a husband and wife to become one? And the first ingredient that is necessary if you're going to become one in your marriage is, read it together with me, you have to 
bring God into your marriage. This is the number one thing that is essential if your marriage is going to lead to unity and harmony and productivity as a team together. It will never happen unless you bring God into your marriage. Say it with me again. Bring God into your marriage. Why is this important? Because who is the creator of marriage? God is the creator of marriage. He's the one that created marriage. He's the one that established marriage. God created it. God designed it. God established the rules, if you will, related to how marriage works best. So God is the source of marriage understanding. Now, with this in mind, let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you were going to buy a, you were going to build a house. And you, just, you bought a piece of property, you said, I'm going to build a house on this piece of property, but you'd never had any experience at all in construction, but you said, I'm going to build a house, but you knew nothing about construction, would it be wise for you to build it on your own, or would it be wiser for you to find someone who was a contractor to guide you in that journey? Of course, it would be wiser to to find the contractor. I don't care how many YouTube videos you watch when it comes to building a house. There's only a certain amount of information you can get from YouTube when it comes to building a house. If you try to build it without understanding what you're doing, you're not going to have a solid foundation. There are a lot of mistakes you're going to make. You're going to be in trouble down the line. And so the same is true with marriage, that God says, I am the builder. I am the creator of marriage. I'm the one that knows how it works best. And so if you're going to experience the best that God has for your marriage, you've got to bring him into your marriage. Now, that being said, I'm going to talk to three different groups of people today when it comes to this whole topic of bringing God into your marriage. And the first group of people that I want to talk to today are those that are here and they are unmarried, okay? Because I will tell you this, the best time to bring God into your marriage is before you're married. Let me say it again. I got a couple of amens over here, okay? But the rest of you, I'm not sure if you're listening. The best time to bring God into your marriage is not after you're married, The best time to bring God into your marriage is before you're married. So if you're here today and you're single, pay close attention. Because the best time to get God in your marriage is not after you get married, but it's right now. And the way that you do that in your life right now if you're unmarried is that you focus on you and your relationship with God. And what you've got to be right now, if you're going to end up with a good marriage, you need to become the best version of you that you can be, spirit, soul, and body. Are you hearing me? So every unmarried person here today, if you're going to say, you know, I want a healthy marriage one day, an amazing marriage, how do I get there, pastor? I'll tell you right now, the way you get there is by being the best version of you that you can be, spirit, soul, and body. Go to work on you, okay? Take a look at your values. What do you value? What's valuable to you? Take a look at what you want to be committed to in your life. What will my commitments be? Take a look at the kind of things that you want to invest your life and your energies into. Define who you are because you're going to attract who you are. 
Who and what you are will determine who and what is attracted to you. And so it's a law of attraction. What you are, you attract to yourself. And so if you're healthy in your own life, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, if you have set your values and your commitment and your investments in life where you're going to go in terms of this, then you're going to know who to let in and who to keep out when it comes to a potential marriage partner. Are you with me? I'm going to share with you four things that will get you in trouble if you're not paying attention to these four things. It will cause you to make a mistake when it comes to choosing a partner in your life, okay? So unmarried, how do you bring God to your marriage? Make sure that you don't make these mistakes. All these words, these four, write them down. If you're unmarried, uh, these are mistakes that can be made. The first mistake is to be living in impurity. Impurity is living outside of God's commands, living a lifestyle that is inconsistent with God's commands for your life. And this kind of thing will get you in trouble always because anytime you're living outside of God's command, you're going to make bad decisions with your life. Amen? You can't make good decisions if you're living in disobedience to God. The second thing is insecurity. You need to work on you so that you become secure in who you are. Why is this important? Because if you're not secure, you're going to take the first person that comes along that makes you feel anywhere good about yourself because you don't feel good about you. And so you're looking for someone to bolster you on the inside. You'll say, well, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to marry that guy. I've got to marry that, guy, that gal because you know, no, no, nobody else may ever come along. You don't know how bad I am, Pastor. I, I better get the first one, the fish, first fish that bites my hook. I'm after, okay? Okay. Because I may not get anybody else. And so there's an insecurity that drives people to make bad decisions. If you're insecure, find security in God. Know that you're worth something to God, that you're valuable, that God has a purpose for your life, that there's no, you're not a wasted individual. There's a value to who you are, and you deserve to have a valuable person in your life. Amen? Okay. You deserve to have a valuable person in your life because there are valuable things that God wants to do in and through your life. So don't live in impurity and make sure you get rid of insecurity. And the third one, make sure you deal with immaturity in your life. If you can't handle the drama of everyday life right now, don't get married because it gets way more dramatic. If a little bit of drama messes you up, okay, right now, you need to be really, really careful because as soon as you get married, it's going to go to an entirely another level, okay? And if you're not mature and be able to handle the stuff that comes your way, if every little thing messes with your, 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 your equilibrium emotionally right now and spiritually, you need to get some settled. You need to grow up in your life. The best time to grow up is not after you get married. It always works better if two mature people get married, Amen. The more mature you are when you get married, the better things are going to be. Because what happens is, if you're not very mature in marriage, marriage is going to challenge that immaturity significantly in your life. And so the more mature both of you are in preparation for marriage, the more solid your relationship can potentially be. Let me give you the fourth thing that you need to be aware of here. It's the fourth mistake I see a lot of people making. They give way to impatience. Oh, pastor, I met somebody. We're going to get married. How long have you known them? Two weeks. <laughs> like, what? 
I mean, you, you don't know them. Oh, yeah, but we got to get married. Well, can't you? No, we got to do it now. Why now? Because it's just now. We got to do it now, okay? We're in love. But you don't know anything about the other person. See, when it comes to relationships, time is not your enemy. Time is your friend, okay? Because over time, you learn things about someone that you couldn't learn any other way. Time tells a lot of stories, amen, okay? Time reveals a lot of information for you. If you just give a little bit of time and wait a little bit and just put, let I me mean, you know you need some brakes every now and then. There's a lot of people, the only thing they got is an engine. They don't have any brakes, okay? And so you need some brakes in your life to slow down and say, step back. This is especially important. Listen closely. If you've gone through a divorce, one of the challenges after going through a divorce is that what happens many times is that it's called the rebound effect. You've heard it before, and so a divorce has happened. You feel the rejection of that, and then somebody comes along and shows you a little bit of attention, a little bit of love, and before long, you're now responding to that out of a broken place in your own life, and out of that broken place in your own life, you begin to be attracted to a person that's meeting a temporary need for you, and you end up in a relationship that is rebounding and happening too quickly that results in something that's just as painful eventually or more painful than the one you experienced previous to that, okay? Interesting statistics. In today's culture, somewhere between, different studies show different things, but somewhere between, I think it's 45 and 50 plus percent of first-time marriages end in divorce. It's kind of debated in terms of exactly where it is at any given time, but somewhere between maybe 45 and 50 percent of every marriage, first-time marriages end in divorce. The percentage of second-time marriages ending in divorce is 75 percent. Think about that. You would think that if you've messed up and had a broken relationship the first time and things have hurt you, that you'd be smarter the second time. But most people are not. You know why? Because they're responding to the next situation impatiently and oftentimes in insecurity, and it results in a bad choice or a bad decision. So if you are single here today, the best time to bring God into your marriage is not after you're married, it's when? Before you're married, right now. Who do you work on? You. Be the best version of you that you can be, spirit, soul, and body. Understand your values, understand your commitments, understand the investment you want to make with your life, what you want to do with your life and your purpose. Make sure that you clean your life up, that you're not living in impurity and insecurity and immaturity and with impatience, and you will prepare your way to bring God into your marriage. I want you to note with me 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It's there on your notes. Would you read it together with me aloud and loudly? Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Let me say one other thing before I move to this next section of our teaching together. Make sure that you, if, you, if you're unmarried and you're thinking about getting married, when you get to that stage in life, make sure that you marry someone that shares the same faith that you share, okay? The same faith in Christ that you share. Why? Because if you don't, you're marrying, you're unequally yoking yourself with someone. And it generally never works out well, okay? You want to find someone that you're going into the relationship with who are sharing the faith that you have in your life. Now I want to talk to married couples, all right? We talk to the unmarried. Let's talk to the married couples. So for all the married people here, and if you're unmarried, this will eventually apply to you potentially. 
Let's talk about the married people. Notice Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Would you read this together with me aloud and loudly? Here we go. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves in a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So I'm going to talk about this more in depth in a few moments. Here's what I want you to hear. Two is better than one. Say it with me. Let's do it again. Two is better than one. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So let's say all that together. Two is better than one and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, I believe that that cord of three strands represents God in a relationship. He is the cord that ties two people together. So it's a cord that is not easily broken. So the question is for married people, how do we bring God that third cord, if you will? How do we bring Him into the marriage. I'm going to give you quickly eight things for every married couple here today. If you'll do these eight things, you'll be on the journey to welcoming God in your marriage. How many married couples today would say, I want God in my marriage? Amen? Okay. If you do these eight things, this will help you to experience God in your marriage relationship. Would you read them together with me? Number one, you know, if you're going to have God in your marriage as a couple, you need to give your lives to who? To Jesus. You've got to give your life to Him. Why? Because if Jesus is not in your life, He's not going to be in your marriage. And so both people need to come to the place of saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm turning my life over to you. So you can't experience Jesus in your marriage if Jesus is not in your life. Here's the good news. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, you can do that today. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any person hears my voice and opens the door of their heart, I will come in, have a relationship with him and he with me. And so if you haven't invited Jesus into your life, do that today. The second thing that is essential is that you and I, read it with me, need to consistently read together, attend, and actively participate in church life. This is vital. Now, some of you would say, well, pastor, you're just trying to get people to come to church. Yes, I am. <laughs> why? I'll tell you why. I read a research, project, a research paper yesterday, research information yesterday from 2016 that said this. They studied married couples and the happiness of married couples and their religious or faith-based orientation when it came to their relationship. And they discovered that of the couples that attend church together, 76% of couples that attend church together, 76% of the couples that attend church together report their marriage to either be good or extremely good. So what I would tell you is this, you've got three quarters of a chance of having a good or extremely good relationship with your husband or wife just by coming to church together. It's amazing, okay? Now you say, why? How would that work? I'll show you how it works. There are a lot of different dynamics to that. But one of the ways it works is this. When you come to church, you're coming together with God's people, but you also come into the presence of God Almighty. Right here in this worship center today, you might think we're just a group of people together, Clarksburg, Frederick, in a room, 
USG, oh, we're just in a room together, just people. No, it's not true. We're, in, we're together, yes, as people, but Jesus is in this place right now. He said, where two or three have gathered together in my name, he said, I'm there among you. And so when we come together as a couple, we're exposing ourselves as a husband and wife to the presence of God and the Word of God, and that's never going to do you harm. It's always going to do you good, right? The next thing that is vital, if you and I are going to have a solid bring God into our marriage relationship, number three, read with me, we have to individually, what? Develop relationship with God, including praying positively for your spouse. And so we develop our relationship with God and our prayer life for our spouse. I'm going to talk about this relationship with God in a few moments. I do want to talk specifically about prayer. Notice that I said praying positively for your spouse, right? This is vital, okay? Because what you, if, you go, if you want God in your marriage, you need to be praying for your husband or your wife, amen? Not just for you, but praying for them. But you need to pray for them positively. What I mean by that is you've got to pray for them the right way. Here's the wrong way to pray for your spouse. Oh, God, you know this horrible woman that you gave me, okay? She is a pill, and God, I'm asking you to just just do whatever necessary to just, God, just get a hold of her. And God, you gave me this man. He's horrible. Would you rain down hailstones from heaven upon his head? Now, technically, did you pray for your spouse? You technically prayed for your spouse. You did, right? But you did it in the wrong spirit. What do you think God is up in heaven going, oh my goodness, can they get this right, okay? You want to pray lovingly and pray positively for your spouse. Find the best things that you can pray for them. Pray positively for them. And the fourth thing that is essential here, if we're going to have God in our marriage, read with me, cultivate a devotional prayer life together. So we have a devotional prayer life together. So we read a little bit of scripture together and we pray together as a couple. This is, more, this is extremely powerful. That same study that I mentioned a moment ago, the only factor that improved a marriage above attending church was couples that prayed together. The just simple act of praying together. You say, well, I don't know how to do this. How would I pray with my spouse? And it, it can be very intimidating. But the way you pray with your spouse, have devotions with your spouse, is just read a little scripture verse together. You don't have to spend a lot of time. Have a really simple prayer. Again, you need to pray positively. You don't say, now here's my wife. God, you know, you know we, she's really a mess. God, help her out, God. And you don't pray that way. Or for your husband, you pray positively and lovingly together with one another. And just pray for a short time. Everybody say short, okay? okay? You don't have to have four hours of prayer, okay? My wife and I, before we go to bed at night, I read one verse of Scripture, and I'm the pastor. I read one verse of Scripture, okay? I go to the Bible app, and I read the verse for the day from the Bible app. I read it out loud to my wife and I. We read that verse of Scripture together, and then I generally, sometimes she will, but I'll lead in a very short prayer, okay? The prayer is no more than usually a minute and a half, two minutes, and we go to sleep. I mean, a bed is for sleep, okay? Go to sleep, all right? But you know what that does? It brings us together right there in that moment. We connect together just spiritually, okay? Now, at the evening may not be a good time for you. Maybe it's the morning. Maybe it's the dinner table, whatever it might be. But find a time in your relationship where you pray together and you read a little scripture together. And you say, well, is that going to help? Yes. What are you doing? You're bringing, help me out, church. You're bringing God where? Into your marriage. All right, let's go to the next one. Are you ready for the next one? 
Number five is surround yourself with Christian friends who are growing in, your, in their faith as well. The people you bring into your life matter, okay? People in your world will, will, either, will either deposit good or drain from you, okay? And I will tell you this, wrong friends can ruin your marriage. Did you hear me? That's a word for somebody here today. You hang around with the wrong friends and certain girlfriends, they start talking about certain things related to your marriage and before long you're all mad at your husband about this and that and the other thing and you've got the wrong friends around you. And guys, you get the wrong friends around you, they talk you into stuff that you wouldn't normally think about doing in your life. Wrong friends can influence your life and affect your... I've known marriages that have been destroyed simply because of the people that were surrounding the husband or the wife. So be careful who you surround yourself with. And that's why church is so valuable. Find some friends at church. Now, by the way, when you come to church, you still got to be selective at church. Not everybody's at church who is not, not completely healthy. Amen? Okay? Right? Or is that the other church? Okay. Is that right? No, this is the church. Okay. And so you got to be selective. You got to find people that are going to build you up. All right? Number, which one are we on? Number six, you got to make decisions by seeking God's will and God's guidance together. We're talking about bringing God into your marriage. Amen? Amen. Well, how do you do that, Pastor? Well, when you get ready to make a decision... You don't just go out and make a decision. You say, honey, let's, let's, let's take a little bit of time and let's pray about this and talk about this. Let's see, wonder what God's will is for us. We're going to buy a new house. Let's pray and ask God to guide us to see what house it needs to be. Or, you know, we're thinking about this purchase or that purchase or this decision, this job decision. Don't just make a decision. Spend some time talking about it, inviting God to give you guidance together as a couple. You're bringing God into your relationship, so make sure you seek God's will together. Very, very important. And then number seven, you need to make faith a part of your home life. So here's a the, here's the key. For every person that wants God in their family, you need to create an environment at home that represents the fact that we are a Christian home. Amen? That Christ is welcome in this household. Okay? Now you might say, how does that work, Pastor? Well, you talk about Jesus in your house, Right? You have something in your house, and uh, this is not the end all of everything, but maybe there's something in your house somewhere that reminds you and your family that this is a Christian house. Maybe it's a piece of art that you have that represents something about Jesus or a scripture passage you have on the wall somewhere, or a plaque that you have somewhere that calls you to remember and your children to recognize this is a Christian household, but a plaque is not going to make you a Christian. What, what you have to do is live it out so that your family, your kids know this is a Christian household. We pray about things. We believe in God's Word. We make mistakes mistakes at times, and when we do, we acknowledge the mistakes we make and we move on. So it's a Christian environment. You're raising your, your, your family in that context. And the last thing that I will mention here, the eighth thing that's vital is you and I need to invest in Christian, read it with me, resources, church groups, and studies that will grow them in their faith and marriage. How do you bring God into your marriage? You study together. By the way, a few moments ago, I showed you the Life Studies book. In the Life Studies book, you're going to find classes and groups on marriage and family. You'll find classes and groups on finances, things that you can come together as a couple and study together. What does that do? It gets you in the Word together. It gives you a focus together. That's why we do Life Studies classes here, so that couples not only can be in a life group, but they can study something specifically that will help them grow in their journey. It is vital to your relationship 
with God. So what's this all about? We're going to bring God where? Into our marriage. If you're unmarried, the best time to bring God into your marriage is before you get married. If you're married, these are the eight things you can do to start bringing God into your marriage. I want to talk to one more group here just briefly for a moment today. And we're just about done, all right? I want to talk to believers here today who are married to an unbelieving spouse. I want to put unbelieving in quotes because they may say they believe, but they're not practicing their faith. And so you find that you married someone and they're not pursuing God the way you're pursuing God. How do you bring God into a marriage when it's kind of one-sided? You want God in the marriage, but the other person really is not that interested. So let me give you some pointers. I'll give you, if this is you, pay close attention, all right? This is going to help you. If you're in this situation, here's what you do. Number one, you make sure that you are diving deeper in God yourself. Because you need a deep relationship with God because your spouse is not going to be able to meet certain spiritual needs in your life. So you need to be going to God in a deeper way. By the way, I'll say this. Anytime you're in a difficult situation, the best thing you can do in difficulty is always dive deeper into God. Any difficulty you go through, always dive deeper into God. The second thing that you want to do, we talked about it a moment ago, is pray lovingly for your spouse. Pray for them, that God would help them to open up their heart to relationship with Him. The third thing, if you are a believer living with an unbelieving spouse, is number three, don't try to be the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? Let me show you how it works. Well, pastor, my husband is not a believer, but I want him to get saved. So about every other day, I preach him your message from the weekend. And I tell him exactly what you said, okay? And so I preach at him. And so I'll preach him every other day. I'll tell him what you said. Uh, no, stop that, okay? Or here's another. We, we find that perfect verse in the Bible that we think that our spouse needs to read. And we strategically lay the Bible open just in the place where they're going to see it. We get 15 highlighters and we circle it. We highlight it and say, awesome, read this, amazing, for you. Okay, right? And our spouse, well, they don't want to see that, okay? You know what you're doing in those situations? You're playing the role of the Holy Spirit, okay? And what happens is you get in the way, amen, okay? Maybe there are moments that God will open up for you to have these kind of conversations with your spouse that are valuable, but don't try to play the Holy Spirit. No, you need to let God work on them because what happens when you try to do it, you mess things up. God knows the right way to do it. Let me move on quickly here. The fourth thing, if this is where you are in your life, is that you need to just let your light shine. Amen? What you need to do is just let your spouse see the light of Jesus shining through you. Be the best example of Christ that you can be. Number five, you need to make sure that you create boundaries in your life. What I mean by that is if you're a follower of Jesus and your spouse isn't, you still need to come to church. You still need to read your Bible. Don't let their decision affect your decision of how you're going to live your life. You establish your faith boundaries of how you're going to live your life. And then number six, you need to be patient. Just wait on God and wait for God to work. 
Because sometimes the answer does not come in our time frame. God answers prayer, but He answers it. Sometimes it requires some patience. And then the final thing I'll mention here, number seven, is you make sure that you have good, strong support around you because you need support of people who are praying for you and holding your arms up. So if you're living as a believer with an unbelieving spouse, this is what you need to do. Let me say one thing. This is a caveat here, very important, before I wrap this message up. In this situation, I'm, not, I'm talking about just a normal kind of environment where there's a a husband or wife living with an unbelieving spouse. I'm not talking about situations that are abusive in nature or where domestic violence or those kind of things are going on. If you're in a situation like that, you don't need to hang around, amen, okay? Don't put yourself in danger emotionally or psychologically or physically. That's something that the Bible does not tell you to do, okay? So the Bible is very clear in terms of us being able to provide good common sense for these kind of things. But I'm talking about just in the average kind of relationship. Does everybody understand what I just said? Do I need to go over it again? That was the caveat. So I'm not, I'm not talking about abusive kind of relationships. I'm talking about just relationships where a spouse is just not a believer. You still have a relationship, and it's, it's, not, uh, it's not dangerous, but it's the kind of thing where you are not on the same page spiritually, all right? Let me take you to the final point here, and we're going to be done, all right? Here's what I want you to see. Bring God into your marriage, okay? I'm going to write some things on the board over here. I'm going to put the husband... Over here, I'm going to put the wife, and here, I'm going to put God. Here's the, here's the key, okay? Here's the key. When a husband begins to grow in his relationship toward God, that he's growing with God, learning how to be a man of God, learning how to serve God, and the wife over here begins to grow in her relationship with God, learning how to be a woman of God, learning how to serve God, they're committed to walking this relationship out, then when when that happens, what occurs is this, notice this, as the husband and wife are growing in relationship with God, something is happening in their relationship one with another. Are you noticing that as they're growing in relationship with God, what is also happening? You see it here? They're, they're becoming closer with one another. So that's key, okay? So I'm growing toward God. I'm learning everything I can learn about my relationship with God. And my wife is learning about her relationship with God. And just without even us realizing it, it's bringing us together. There's a unity that begins to occur to the point that we get, if you will, to the place here where there's this convergence that occurs. Remember, two are better than one, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. So here's this threefold cord that draws us together, and we get to this pinnacle of convergence here, and it goes to the very thing that Jesus said, the two shall become one. Do you see the oneness there? And so what's happening here as we move up this scale of walking with God is that unity is happening, harmony is happening, oneness is happening, where there's less storms in the relationship, more of the norming and performing that occurs. Let me give you a quick illustration on the other side. If we go the opposite way, away from God, what happens here is that the further away from God we grow, the further the distance is in our relationship with one another. You got that? And so the key is to work toward God and to bring God 
God into your marriage. So unmarried, the best time to prepare for your marriage is before you get married. Married people, there are eight things you can do to bring God into your marriage. And for those who are believers living with an unbelieving spouse, there's some things that you can do that will bring God into your marriage as well. And as we do this, we're pursuing the ultimate relationship with God that brings us into oneness. Amen? Next weekend, don't miss it. I'm going to talk about marriage myth busters, okay? We're going to talk about myths that happen in our marriage that we want to get break out of that will give us freedom at a new, in a new level. Would you join me together as we pray? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're grateful for the opportunity that we've had to share together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for every unmarried person here today. I pray, God, that you would help them in the name of Jesus to work on themselves, to become the best you, the best version of themselves that they can possibly be, spirit, soul, and body. Father, I pray for the married couples here today. I pray that these principles we've talked about, about bringing you into our marriage, Lord, let today be the day that we start this journey in a fresh way. Lord, for believers who are here today who perhaps are living in a difficult situation with an unbeliever, I pray, God, that you'll give them the grace and the power to still bring you into their household for your glory and for your honor. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.